0: Hey there, folks. Welcome to episode 93 of the Fundraising Bright Spots podcast. My name is Rob Woods, and this is the show for anyone who works in fundraising and wants some ideas and maybe a little nudge of inspiration to help you raise more money and really enjoy your job. So the theme for today's episode is adding value to relationships with supporters, partners and donors and my observation across many years of studying fundraising success, and looking back over the previous 92 episodes of this podcast, looking at specific examples, I believe wherever you find consistent fundraising success, you will also find that the charity or the fundraising team worked hard to add value to relationships with their supporters. And that is a major driver of why the fundraising results worked out really well as well. Now, I know that On the one hand, this is kind of obvious, and I also know that it's not always easy to do. There are various barriers to doing it well and certainly to doing it consistently and at the same time having a work-life balance. So I thought I'd put together an episode sharing some key ideas and principles that might just help you. And I'm going to do my best to bring those to life with some particular examples, including from other episodes of the podcast and from people who've presented at our Breakfast Club for Fundraising Leaders. So to bring this idea to life, I wanted to share one particular example that really impressed me last year. And it was shared by Susie Thompson, who's a very experienced fundraiser. And uh, at the time, she was the director of fundraising at the Royal Northern College of Music. And I had noticed that her charity was doing phenomenally well during the pandemic in terms of its fundraising results and I invited her to come and share some of those ideas and tactics to our breakfast club for fundraising leaders I believe in the spring of 2021 and what she said was they had decided to do an appeal in November or December of 2020 and the previous highest total that organisation had ever raised through an appeal was £20,000 but because they felt a real sense of momentum because of how well relationships had been going during 2020. They decided to be bullish and more than double their target to £50,000. And what then went on to happen across the next couple of months was that they massively exceeded that already ambitious target and they raised more than £300,000. So that's more than six times an already ambitious target, which is way unprecedented compared to what had gone before. So this was a stunning result. The team had worked really hard. The charity were really pleased. And when Susie explained to the Breakfast Club audience, virtual audience, how they'd gone about that, the gist of what she said was, we worked so hard to add value to our supporters, to the people who care about our cause, long, long, long before we went and made that formal appeal for donations. Now, actually, people were donating during the year as well, but the reason for the massive success was because of how we had added value. And she went on, actually, to talk about various different things. She and her team did... She said, listen to this podcast all the way through 2020 and they'd look for even just one idea that they could apply from each episode. And often they said they managed to apply those small shifts to help with their approach to fundraising and relationship. But she said a major tactic that had, she believed, really paid off was that in March 2020, as the COVID pandemic really took hold in the UK and lockdowns were happening, Susie and her team decided to create a blog and for the organisation to publish one blog per week, week in, week out, throughout the pandemic. And sometimes it was someone from her team talking about this theme of keep the music playing because it's a a music charity. And sometimes it was someone from another department, a musician from the organisation, But for the first several months of the pandemic, every single week, they managed to publish something and keep drip, 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 sending out these stories and examples and little boosts of inspiration out to the people who they had email addresses for. And in practice, I think when it got to the summer, they they didn't manage to to all year long, keep it going every single week. I think it uh, dropped to about every fortnight But again, even when it dropped slightly, it was still regularly going out. And Susie shared that in her opinion, a major reason for the success of the appeal when they came to ask for money to keep the music playing was because for months and months and months, people knew about that story. They knew about the problems and they knew about her charity's solution to those problems. And so they gave and gave extremely generously. Now, to be clear, This is not an episode of the podcast about sending blogs. It's not a blog writing episode. The theme is a bigger picture than that. It's this philosophical notion of if we want to ask for something, if we want financial results, then we're most likely to achieve that if we've initially done proactive, consistent things that add value. Susie and her team actually did several different things. They tried lots of things. But one of the standout ones that they did consistently was blogging. But equally, I've heard plenty of examples of different tactics being done. So, for instance, in episode 62, Davinia Batley, who was at the time she was the director of fundraising at the charity Become, she shared, again, a story of unprecedented success in terms of the appeal that her team did in the winter of 2020. And... She explained that a major reason for that success, she felt, was all of the value that her team had added to their supporters during the spring and summer of that really difficult period of time during the pandemic. Lots of different things they did, but two of them in particular she mentioned. One was sending out thank you postcards to anyone who was an existing or previous supporter of the charity, not asking for money, but thanking them for the difference they had already made to this important cause and thanking them for being there. And secondly, proactive phone calls to anyone that they had phone numbers and GDPR permission to call, phone calls to those people, again, not asking for money, but just to connect as a friend of the charity. I hope you're doing okay, how are you doing? So those conversations proactively meant that in due course, when Davinia and her team went to ask for specific donations to fund a particular emergency appeal, she felt that all that previous value she had added to the relationships and the stories they'd shared was a major reason why the appeal itself succeeded. And I appreciate that what I just said may seem fairly obvious to you as a fundraiser, and certainly there are parallels, I think, philosophically in other areas of life where results occur. I think if we're a gardener, we don't expect for there to be lovely fruit or lovely flowers or vegetables if we didn't first plant the seeds, look after the seeds, water them, nurture them, keep the weeds away. We understand that if you want for those stated long-term goals to, to come, we need to have invested and added value in the first place. And yet in the context of charities, partly because our colleagues are so passionate about the great work that they do and the problem that needs to be solved. For a range of reasons, sometimes we can receive signals from our organisation to just go and ask, go and get some money, go and find a corporate partner. We need to get more major gifts in and so on and so on. And I understand why that can happen. I understand an urgency to get the funds to pay for these solutions that our charity provides but as a fundraising team as fundraising leaders we need to find a way in how we manage our own time and when possible when appropriate to get the colleagues to see this and to invest appropriately so that we can add value consistently in the right areas and that I think helps us drive results. So the first principle that I think can really help you succeed in this area is to check that you're adding value to them, not you, in the sense of the various messages your charity wants to talk about and that might presume everyone else cares about as well. And there might be channels through which you presume they would like to access your information. But in practice, are those the kinds of things that genuinely meet the needs and interests of the person you're trying to add value to? in episode 92 when i talked about laura matthews winning that fabulous valuable pitch with the company the key thing she shared as to why she felt she'd won is she'd worked really hard to understand their point of view why they might want a partnership and in that metaphor i explained in that episode i said she designed a pitch that spoke about their side of the beach ball how they would see this partnership working out similarly in episode 86, when Jenny Crabtree talked about ways to reactivate giving and uh, invite people to upgrade giving levels, she made the point that it's one thing for us to know that we're sending out stewardship materials, we've got a newsletter, we keep doing this, why isn't it working? It's one thing to be doing that, it's another for the content and format and channel of that information to actually be matching where your supporters are at. So some things, some channels might not be possible, but potentially being more curious about what they care about and how they might like to access this information can really help you, for instance, change from long wordy documents to a few short, punchy films, or a few words and, and then links to some films which bring those stories to life, for instance. So you could apply this to anything, but point one, check in. You may well be adding value, but is it adding value to something that they care about and in a format that they could find easy to access? And then the second idea is consistency trumps occasional brilliance. And in a way, this might be one of the most important to really get your head around and weigh up and potentially follow through on, because I think it's different to what most charities tend to do. And one of the best examples of it paying off was shared in episode 59 of our podcast by Paul Coulter from Children's Hospice Southwest. And he talks about a lot of the success in their corporate partnership fundraising across 2020 and then into 2021 came from putting on one hour virtual sessions, I think over Zoom. They were called Bite sized Business Breakfasts. And they were simple, short opportunities for companies that were already partnering the hospice and that were curious about and interested in potentially supporting the hospice, they could come along for a one hour session and it happened each month. And they would hear examples about the amazing difference the funds were making to children and families lives. And they could network a bit and hear from each other And within an hour, it would be finished and they would go away again. And they tended to go away more inspired and with deeper connection to what that hospice and partnership of that hospice was all about. I think this is different to what many charities have done across the last two years, because lots of charities have, have put all their eggs in one basket. They've managed to do a one off really good event. And some people came and maybe they asked for money or maybe they it was relationship building or pipeline building. But then that was the thing that happened and then nothing else happened for the next six months. Whereas I think the, the key thing that was different about the way Paul's team did it was month in, month out, this event would happen. It was free after the first one where they trialed paying for it. It was free and not every company came every time, but by... November, December, many companies had come to two or three or four of them. And that is what added the value and deepened the relationship. And I think that's a major reason why in December of 2020 and Paul and their team decided to do a a particular ask for donations. Uh, To be clear, all the way through the year, there had been opportunities for people to fundraise mentioned at the event. So it wasn't that they were doing this stewardship and not generating any fundraising income, But uh, the event was free to attend. In December, they decided to launch uh, a paid giving club uh, in, I think it was the 30th year anniversary of the charity. And within two months flat, the charity had filled that business club. There were 100 businesses that had joined, I think paying at least £300 each and £30,000 had been raised. Now, I've heard lots of charities talking about, or well, could we create some kind of paid giving club? And it often doesn't succeed. I think a major reason why Paul's one succeeded was that consistent adding of value across the months before they made that formal ask. Now, I appreciate that your charity might not have the resources to write a blog every week or to put on some kind of event, either in person or virtually every month. I do get that. But the the main point I'm making is if, even if you've got few resources, look to do some kind of regular thing, some series of things rather than a one off. And then uh, we're exhausted now and we learn some things, but now we can't capitalize on them because we're not doing it again. Even if you just do it three times a year rather than once or once a quarter, I think it's really worth the effort to think that way around because obviously it's that consistency that causes people to drop in with you more than once or to read your blog more than once and that's what deepens connection and trust and relationship but equally you'll find this same pattern of the power of consistency in how you add value to relationships you'll find the same pattern in other activities too. So, for instance, in terms of Facebook Lives or Instagram Lives that some charities have used to add value and build relationships, in episode 72 of my podcast, Laura Crowde shares several examples of charities doing that really well. So, again, it's not about any particular tactic. It's about, as a charity, being willing to find the type of activity or means of adding value that suits your charity's strengths and that your donors like and respond to, and doing it at least once and learning from it, and then crucially, finding a way to build a plan to do it with some level of consistency. That's what builds trust and builds relationships. Now, in a minute, I'll share my third idea for implementing this approach. But for now, I'm gonna take just a moment to let you know a tiny bit about our two flagship courses designed to help you grow high-value fundraising results. That's the Major Gifts Mastery Programme, and the Corporate Mastery Programme. We're now taking bookings for both as they start again in April 2022. But rather than have me tell you all about it, I thought it'd be most interesting if you could hear from someone who's done one of these courses recently. So here is Rihanna Jarvis from Sustrans, who did the Corporate Mastery Programme last year. I did the Corporate Mastery Programme in April till September last year, and it was great. It taught me some awesome techniques about how to negotiate existing partnerships and win new ones. And specifically, it really helped me bring on board a brand new partner from Cold to sponsor a project that we've been doing for years for the first time, which was fantastic. They have been really supportive and they've given us 30 grand to deliver that work, which is really exciting. And I definitely wouldn't have gone about it the way that I did if I wasn't following the techniques that are on the Mastery Programme. So if you've got the time and you can find the budget, I highly recommend you doing it. If you'd like to find out more about either the Major Gifts Mastery Programme or the Corporate Mastery Programme, go to brightspotfundraising.co.uk forward slash services. Right now, let's get back to today's main topic as I share my third tip for adding more value to supporter relationships. And if I were to analyse a major reason why many charities, even if they see the wisdom of this don't manage to follow through on it. A major reason is that they've got an image in their head of that Facebook Live or that event or that blog being really big and advanced and sophisticated. And I think a, if, if that's the way you're aiming for and the event has to have be three hours long and have all the bells and whistles to it, I think that's a major reason why it doesn't happen as frequently as I think it could. So a dominant pattern I've noticed in the charities that have done this idea well Is they've done the third thing my third piece of advice which is to make it easy to do lower the bar for what success looks like so if when i looked at paul coulter's events or his charities events for those corporates they were a fairly simple recipe they were one hour long each time not two And each time it was a similar kind of recipe for what the makeup of content was. So that after doing the first couple of ones, they just had a a routine for how they could slot different things in, different stories or different speakers in to that basic process. But the starting point was not needing every single blog or event or Facebook Live or whatever it might be to do everything you possibly could want from that single activity set the bar lower would be my next piece of advice and just related to that there's a great power if as the leader or the strategist planning your fundraising activity or your stewardship activity there's a great power to ask yourself this question how could i make it easier for us to do this on a regular basis one of my favorite examples of this was from richard turner years ago he came and spoke at one of my events for the bright spot members club and he talked about this shift they made when he was at Solaraid, from having a desire to want to send people an extra nice thank you. When, you know, when a volunteer or a donor does something especially generous, and you get that instinct. Oh, I would, just, I'd love to just thank them properly rather than send an email. And uh, he, he the, his main shift was to go and get some really excellent thank you cards designed, which any of his team would be proud to send out because on the f- the front image was a beautiful photograph which really encapsulated the wonderful difference his charity makes and inside was printed a quote from a happy a parent or a happy child that had been able to do their homework because of these solar lights so the hard thing for Richard's organisation was getting those cards designed and printed and created really well in the first place But can you see how once he'd got that done, it was genius because then him and his couple of colleagues could always have a stack of those lovely cards on their desk. And in any given week, there would always be two, three, four moments where someone did something generous and they wanted to send out this little wow moment. And now they could do it easily because they could just reach for the card, write the handwritten message and put a stamp on it and get it in the post. Lots of these extra moments that added value and helped people feel special they became possible because of Richard setting it up in the first place to get those cards designed. So to sum up a major pitfall that I think can get in the way of charities delivering this kind of value consistency is if they're trying to make it too complicated or too sophisticated and I've noticed this pattern of the charities that do this well tend to have found a way to make it relatively easy to deliver each one of these activities each time and that idea brings me on to the fourth tip which is really related which is could you create a process that makes this more likely to happen that you know, week in week out or month in month out there's a way of doing this that means people don't have to solve the problems each time they just follow the process one of my favorite examples of this is talked about in episode 88 by the brilliant Cleo Grisani. And she's talking about the way they decided to consistently add way more special feel-good moments for their supporters by looking at the database to find the anniversaries of when donors had given their first gift and planning in any given week to make phone calls to those donors to wish them a happy one-year anniversary since that generous gift you made. And if you just did two of those then you know two donors would feel good but if you have a process whereby we're going to look at the whole database and we're going to map out across the next two months when those calls need to be made or when those thank you cards need to be sent then i think you achieve a level of efficiency to this process and it enables you to deliver way more of those special moments and it makes it much easier for your team to follow through on because they know what they're doing and they're learning all the time from this ongoing habit. And then the fifth idea I've noticed is to deliver variety of content as well as consistency of how you do it and of the framework. So whatever type of film you like to see, let's say this, you know someone who loves James Bond films, you might say to them, why do you why are you going to that James Bond film? You've you've seen lots of James Bond films before, and the answer is I would say at the level of human needs, is a fan of a particular franchise of film, they they go along because they know they like it. You know, they know that they like car chases and exotic locations and preposterous villains. So they've got the consistency of that, but also they get the variety because each time the plot is a bit different and it is a different villain and the car chase is in a different exotic location each time. So you're giving them that perfect storm of they know they're going to like it, but when they get there, it's sufficiently different from last time for them to not know exactly what's going to happen at each given moment. That's the perfect combination of certainty, but also uncertainty and variety. And I suggest that whatever activity or activities you test and decide to make your regular thing that adds value to your type of donor that's what you should be aiming for so for the events that Children's Hospice Southwest delivered it would be different stories each time and different companies might be sharing what they'd been up to to help the hospice each time but there would always be this sort of standard format so that you knew where you stood and what happened tended to happen within the hour so obviously you could apply this to the need to find new stories and new content or new speakers within an event series, for instance, while at the same time having a confidence that people might show up again to the second or third one of these because they found it so interesting or inspiring or enjoyable last time. And that level of certainty and reassurance also might help them have the confidence to invite their friend or their colleague or another company to come to that same event. So we need some variety but also the reassurance we give with the consistency. And one example I really liked of this being done really well is in episode 74 of this podcast with Mel Bushel from the Portsmouth Grammar School. And she talks about one of the stewardship activities she does to add value to build relationships is to send greetings cards, thank you cards or birthday cards to their donors and supporters For some of them, it is on their birthday. And for some of them, it's uh, again, thank you cards or cards on the anniversary of a gift. But the touch I really liked is that not only are those cards beautifully designed because she tends to use artwork from pupils at the school. And often the artwork is of scenes that are really nostalgic and meaningful to former pupils of that school. One of the ones she showed me was a beautiful painting done by actually someone who had received a bursary uh, a scholarship to study at the school she'd done this beautiful picture of Portsmouth Cathedral and Mel said yeah I'd love to send this one out but I don't want to keep sending people the same card each time so it's part of my process to go and talk to the art department to find a new one for, for next year and can you see how easily we could get stuck in a rut and because we've got one lovely card end up That being the one we send out to everyone each time, I think Mel is smart to have a process to keep refreshing that so that there's a variety to the image whilst keeping the consistency of being able to send out these lovely cards on particular occasions. So that would be my fifth tip. How could you find a way to refresh your content for any of these tactics that add value so that things don't get stale and predictable? So there you have it, five tips, which I hope might just help you follow through on this quite difficult thing of consistently adding value to build relationships. The first thing to check in is, if we do this, is it genuinely adding value to them and is interesting to them rather than just us or just our charity? Secondly, consistently trumps brilliance. So you don't have to be doing something every week or every month, but whatever the frequency you opt for, the power is in the consistency of repeating something rather than do it as a one-off. Idea three, in order to do that, make it easier to do rather than big and flash. Fourthly, what process could you use to make it easier to roll this out each time and do it more efficiently? And fifthly, if you are going to achieve this consistency, remember to nevertheless, within the constraints of what you're doing, add in variety in terms of a different image or a different topic or a different story each time. And you may be thinking, yes, all well and good, Rob, but we just are so busy. We don't have the time and resource or budget to be working in this way, doing these kinds of things. Yes, absolutely. You may well be right. And one of the default ways you can increase the chances of increasing fundraising income is by getting further investment in fundraising. If that's where you're at, then I appreciate it's not, still not easy, but do check out episode five of this podcast with the brilliant Adam Human, who three times at the time of recording had asked for investment in fundraising from the board in three different charities where he worked and three times he'd got a yes. So in episode five, he talks through his mindset and his tactics and his approach for how he's done that each time. So if that just gives you a bit of a lift or a couple of tactics for how to go and ask for extra investment, then do check out episode five. But the other thing I would say is in the meantime, the things I'm talking about today aren't only about investment, in my opinion. I think they also are about mindset and approach of teams and individual fundraisers every single day and during the morning, during some of the best part of your day when potentially you're at your boldest and most confident, making time for activities that build relationships with donors, even just at its simplest, sending that that thank you card or picking up the phone to have a little quick thank you call. If you can get yourself doing relationship building things in the morning before the day runs away from you and before you have to start filling in other people's spreadsheets and things, making time to what I would call eat that frog, do the important things at 9 a.m., not plan to do them at 3 p.m., as a daily habit, seeing it that way round, let alone these fancier seeming techniques to do with consistently building relationships. If just every day you try to do relationship building things first before you get bogged down in some internal processes, that alone will help you. And secondly, if some of this is more complex, in the morning, setting aside some time to plan or activate some of these bigger tactics like an event series, doing it in the first half of the day, not hoping to get to it in the second half of the day as a as a habit, as a mindset, that also can really, really help you execute these ideas in practice. Well, I hope these ideas have been helpful. If they were and you haven't yet subscribed, then do click on the subscribe button today so that you don't miss out on all the other episodes we've got coming up. And if you'd like a full transcript and a summary of the episode, then go to the podcast section of our website, which is brightspotfundraising.co.uk. If you're a corporate partnerships fundraiser or a major donor or a major gifts fundraiser, and you would like some ideas, strategies and support to help you grow income in those areas, then do check out our two flagship training programmes. That's the Corporate Mastery Programme and the Major Gifts Mastery Programme. We've got lots of information on our website about how those programmes are structured and what kind of content we share to help you grow results in those areas. And you can find out more on our website by going to brightspotfundraising.co.uk forward slash services. And just before I finish, I'd like to say a huge thank you to anyone who's been sharing these podcast episodes either with colleagues, with teams, or on social media. I do really appreciate your help in spreading the word so that we can help as many charities as possible. And if you'd like to get in touch about this episode, then you can find me on LinkedIn and on Twitter. I am at Woods underscore Rob. So thank you ever so much for listening today. I hope it was helpful. Best of luck with all of your efforts to add value, to build wonderful relationships with your supporters. And I look forward to sharing more Bright Spot ideas and examples with you very soon.